Welcome to the Bakersfield Whiskey Society podcast. At the Bakersfield Whiskey Society, we know you want to be a whiskey expert. And in order to do that, you need to drink and learn about whiskey. The problem is, whiskey can be intimidating. And that often leaves you feeling confused and frustrated. Well, we're here to help take the mystery out of whiskey. To help you understand what you like and why you like it. So kick back, pour yourself a glass of something, unless you're driving. And get ready to learn what you like and why you like it. This is the Bakersfield Whiskey Society Podcast. Well, welcome to another edition of the Bakersfield Whiskey Society Whiskey Secrets Podcast. And wow, am I excited to have you here today. We have a special guest all the way from Wales. He traveled downstairs, probably upstairs to his bedroom, and he is live with us over Zoom. And we are just so excited to be talking with Stephen Davies, CEO of Pindarin. And by the time we finish our conversation today, you're going to know that unique place that Pindarin really plays inside the world of whiskey. More importantly, you're going to have that starting point for your journey into world whiskey, and you're going to feel excited the next time you see a bottle of Pindarin sitting on the shelf somewhere, because you're going to have all that knowledge about this unique whiskey in the world. And so, Stephen, welcome. Thank you very much, Tim. Nice to be with you. Yeah, such a thrill to have you. And uh, yeah, you guys are relatively uh, well, kind of well-kept secret, I, I would argue, and kind of a newcomer on the, the scene to the, the world of whiskey. So give us a little bit of background about Pindarin. Yeah, well, yes, a newcomer, certainly to the United States in many ways, but we've been around for nearly 20 years distilling now. It'll be our anniversary, 20th anniversary in September 2020, so we're not far away. And um, we've been producing single malt, and we, we launched ourselves on the market on St. David's Day, which is the 1st of March 2004. That was the first time that whiskey had been tasted in Wales for over 100 years. So it was a bit of an occasion for us. It was uh, the last time that whiskey had been made in Wales was back in the 1890s. And there'd been this huge sort of gap over many, many years of uh, nothing happening. So it was, a, it was a big thing for us. Wales, of course, is a country part of the United Kingdom. Not well known for making whiskey before Pendarin, although there's a little bit of history there. So it's been a very exciting project, but like a lot of overnight successes, it's taken 20 years to, uh, to come into being. Well, right. And there's a lot of countries, right? We're kind of in this whiskey renaissance, as I call it, where you see a lot of countries that have never gone into this, right? All of a sudden, they're starting to make whiskey. And so how did that happen in Wales, right? How did you go from not producing anything for, you know, 100 some odd years to let's start a distillery? How does that happen? Yeah, I mean, it's a, well, it's a big undertaking. You know, trying to create a new whiskey distillery requires a, a lot of resource, a lot of determination, hopefully some good judgment and a fair bit of luck to make these things happen. And, you know, back 20 years ago when we started, it was unheard of. There, there hadn't been very many new distilleries anywhere in, in the UK, certainly, and not many in the world. Um, whereas you look at today now, and there's a, a huge movement of craft distilling and uh, great new new whiskies uh, popping up from different parts of the world. I think we were one of the first. We were one of the very early, what I would describe as new world of whiskey, when outside of the Scots, the Irish, and perhaps the uh, the Japanese. So um, we came along, and uh, yeah, we had a lot of work to do to kind of uh, build awareness and to to let people know we were there and we were worth engaging with and trying. So it's. Uh, you know that that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen overnight. You know, you you need to really learn your art, 
and be dedicated to it and then you know rolling it out on fairly limited uh, budgets and resources that's a big challenge but we loved it you know it's it's it's, it's what we do and uh, it's great fun and uh, now you mentioned that little bit of luck and, and you happen to have a little bit of luck in starting your distillery and i'm specifically talking about the still that you use yeah, so, yeah. so how did you come to be using the still that you use and and how did that little bit of luck play into all of this well, as you know, um, most whiskey is made on pairs of pot stills, which is a traditional way of doing it, but a very good way of, of making whiskey, of course. Pandarin doesn't do that. Pandarin uses a very unusual single copper pot with a couple of columns on it, which produces a light, delicate, fruity whiskey, which is a lot lighter than, I think, your average single malt, so your average Scotch whiskey. And it was designed for us by a guy called Dr. David Faraday, who was, uh, when he designed it, was in the University of Surrey. And David liked walking, and he liked walking in Wales, which is a very beautiful landscape. We're in the uh, Brecon Beacons National Park. Uh, we're in the village called Pendarin. That's where we take our name. And uh, David used to like walking, and, and he met a couple of the founders of our business on a walking holiday. And uh, it was really a case of, uh, oh, you, you're looking to make whiskey? Well, I could design you a whiskey still, and it would be a, a little bit different to anything else in the industry, but it would lo be low on energy costs, and I think we could get some great flavor out of it. So that was kind of an unusual thing, and it took them a few years to get it designed, and they had some money from a European-funded project to help them to along with it. And to be honest, Tim, they didn't really know how it was going to turn out. So they knew that the guy knew what he was doing. He'd come from the petrochemical industry had a team of PhD college graduates working with him. But it, you know, it, it, it was a kind of a leap of faith in many ways. And uh, the lightness of the spirit we get out is something we're really thrilled about because it is just different, you know, it is really different. Yeah, right. So, so just that little bit of luck, right? Someone out taking a walk, and, and not just someone, the, the, great, the grandson of the great Victorian scientist, Michael yeah. Faraday, right? He happens to yeah. just stumble along and say, oh, by the way, I can help you make a still. Uh, yeah. So you talk about just that little bit of luck. I, I would argue that's a big bit of luck for you guys. It yeah, it is. And also, it's a big bit of luck, but it's also a big chance as well because, you know, you're designing something that's never been used in this particular way before. Mm -hmm. I think the technology has, had been used before, you know, in, in the petrochemical industry probably, but to be used for making whiskey, you know, there's a, there's a big leap of faith with a bunch of guys who were new to, to whiskey making, had a lot of passion, but not really as much knowledge as they probably would have liked. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a big, you know, and, and it all happened in a pub. I mean, like all good things, it happened in a bar, you know, over a few drinks. And uh, that's the way a lot of good things get started. Yeah. Well, and the, the lightness of your spirit, right? The, the still contributes to that. And, and, and I certainly want to talk about that some, is really the, the uniqueness of the spirit that you're producing. And so can you talk a little bit about the role the still plays in the creation of the spirit that you're producing? Yeah, of course. So, so we're making uh, malted barley spirit, to, which is the first stage of making single malt whiskey. And um, it's only one grain, which is barley. And we use that barley, we ferment it into a, a beer wash, and then we would still it on our unique still. And when we just, the process of distilling refines the alcohol, concentrates the alcohol into a smaller volume, and what you get at the end of it is a new mix spirit, which draws out of the still at 92% alcohol by volume, which is a very high spirit draw for single malt whiskey. And that high spirit draw means that it's, it's light, it's fruity, and not as heavy and oily as a traditional malt whiskey. 
So the style of the spirit, when you start with it, very, very light. It's still got lots of flavor, but it, it's, it's just got this very unusual style about it. And of course, at 92%, you're still gonna, we're gonna cut it down with water. I'm gonna add some water to take it to about 63%, our cask strength. And then we're gonna put it in, into barrels, typically into bourbon barrels for a number of years, and then finish in Madeira wine casks from Portugal. So we've got this double maturation then, well, it's a maturation and a finish actually, which then uh, gives us the, a bit more complexity on that original spirit. But the unique spirit from the Pendaren still is something I think that gives us a very individual style that customers like because it's very easy to drink. It's very easy to approach. If you're a whiskey drinker, you'll enjoy the complexity of it. If you're new to the industry, you'll still, it's, you can drink it neat. You don't need to add water, but you can if you want to. So I think it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's really worth exploring. Yeah, right. And that's one of the things I appreciate about the spirit is it does have those, you know, that, that unique lightness to it, but also mm. a lot of depth to flavor. And, you know, across your range, there is a very typical Pindaren style, which yeah. is coming from, you know, you're still in your process. And I think that's so important for, for you as the, the listener to kind of take away, because I know a lot of times, you know, I'll hear from people, oh, I don't like scotch because it all tastes like campfire. It all tastes smoky. It's like, well, yeah. that's that's one little region of Scotland. And in the same thing, right, scotches have a style and Japanese whiskey has a style and, you know, your Amrut has a style, right? They're, they're all different styles. And mm -hmm. so it's not that one's better or worse. It's just they're, they're different expressions using yeah. some of the same basic ingredients. And that, to me, is one of the things that makes just the world of whiskey so much fun. Yeah, so as you're kind of thinking through, you know, the, the distillery, the spirit, you, you talked about the, the wood and the, the aging and the finishing. What are you yes. doing there with the, the Madeira cask? And how does that add to the, the flavor of the spirit that you're producing also? Well, we talked about, you know, a decent slice of luck with the, the whiskey still. Bringing in a guy by the name of Dr. Jim Swan, a name that uh, would be known to a lot of people in the industry, and bringing him in at a very early stage helped us to then take this very light, delicate spirit and move it on and, and add complexity to, to make our finished product. So he was able to identify, you know, one of his key skills in, in the business was innovation with wood in whiskey. So he was very you know, much able to identify, well, I think the bourbon barrels, yeah, that's, that's pretty standard, but really let's, let's add this Madeira cask, which will give us a light creamy toffee fudge on top of the fruitiness that we're gonna get from the barley from the, the bourbon barrels that we've, we've used as well. And we'll just add that extra layer of complexity. And again, you know, Scotch whiskey is typically with bourbon and sherry. We're using bourbon and, and Madeira casks. So that's all been able to line up to, to give us that product. But without Dr. Swan, I think we'd have really struggled with, uh, you know, identifying or establishing that identity. Yeah, where did Dr. Swan come in in this process? Was he at the very beginning or, or where, where did kind of some of his insights come into yeah. helping you develop what you're developing? He came in, he didn't come in right at the start. We'd already started distilling for a little while, 12 to 18 months before we got Jim involved. But he came in fairly early and, and you know, long before there was any thought of bottling the product or, or you know, being able to. So we started off, I think we started off with buying some bourbon barrels and sherry casks. Some of the early casks we've got are, are Oloroso sherry casks. But we then quickly moved that with Jim's advice into using the, the Madeira casks as well. So, yeah, we were, it was a really good, uh, good move, good judgment, perhaps, or good fortune to get Jim involved to, from a fairly early stage, be able to plan the strategy for having a Madeira finished whiskey to start off with 
and then to broaden the range of expressions as we went. But keep that theme, you know, one of the things I learned very early from Dr. Swan and also actually from the whiskey critic Jim Murray was, you know, it's all about balance. You've got to get those balance of flavors. You know, what's going on with the malt, with the barrel maturation, you've got fruity flavors, you've got malty cereal flavors. How do these combine together to produce a really complex and delicious whiskey? And so, you know, that's where Jim came in to really sort of move that conversation on for us. Now, did you try some barrels and did you try some finishing? Were, were, you, were you aged in, you tasted and you thought, oh, that just doesn't work? Or you, do you have a couple failures and things that you tried on your way? And what were some of the lessons that you maybe learned through that? I mean, they were, yeah, it was, I mean, things like, you know, one of our first sherry cask whiskies, which was matured, I think, 100% in Oloroso sherry casks. It was so overwhelmed by the sherry that you, you didn't get the balance of the malt coming through. And uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of sherry as a wine. I really like it. But we're making whiskey, not wine. And we'd lost that sort of balance that you need really to get the enjoyment out of it. So we had to sort of retreat on that one and then say, okay, it's not 100% in one particular cask. It's going to have to be a bit of whiskey that's matured in bourbon, which it turns out now it's about 70% in bourbon barrels, about 30% in Oloroso casks, much nicer, more refined, balanced, fruity whiskey. So that was quite an interesting early learning. And the other one I think is worth mentioning is that, you know, we don't make heavy PT whiskies like they do on Isla in Scotland, but we do make a, a light PT whiskey. And that was a complete accident, another happy accident for us, where we had some PT barrels that we bought actually by mistake, put our, our spirit into them. And then five years later found, well, hang on a second, this whiskey's starting to look delicately smoky and um, it's, it's actually not what we do, but it's very nice. It's very attractive. What are we going to do with this? So we put that out as a special edition then at some point and people came back and said, we, we like this. This is very, very good. You should do this again. So we, yeah, we, you know, there are some advantages to coming from a position of not knowing a lot where you just, you make mistakes, you do things that other people who are more experienced wouldn't even think of doing. And we've kind of gained mostly from that. I mean, there's been obviously been the occasional time where you think, oh, that, that was, you know, that wasn't a good idea. But, you know, we've, we've learned as we've gone along and uh, it's been a real interesting journey. Right. And that experimentation really plays a role. You know, so often, you know, I used to think, and I know many people listening, you may have thought, oh, you know, people just throw stuff in a barrel and they wait and, and it's always good. And that's not the case. There, there is experimentation. There, there is thoughtfulness that goes yeah. into this, into crafting these spirits. And, and like you've done, right, really creating that unique place in the world. So, right, as you're making these whiskeys, right, you, you distill them, you got it in the barrel, it's time to taste it, and doing the nosing. Well, who at Pindarin is helping do that? Are, are you the final decision maker or do you have a team of people who are, who are helping you make these decisions? Yeah, well, you know, I love to think I'm the, I'm the top whiskey expert in the business, but actually I'm not. We have three people who are qualified noses and they're all ladies. It's just a, a female uh, distilling team. It's Laura, Eister and Bethan. And uh, at least two of those ladies had a six-year apprenticeship with Dr. Swan which was a great way to, to start, you know, and they, but they only really got their jobs because they passed a pretty astonishing interview where they had to, we had to test their nose, uh, test their powers of um, being able to describe what they could smell and then obviously test the taste buds as well. So it, it's, you know, there were a few candidates and, and these, these ladies came through with, with top, top marks and then they were able to begin the process of, of learning to, um, to put malt whiskey together. 
every barrel that we produce is nosed and tasted individually. So the process is, you know, there's a lot of scrutiny. And unfortunately, it would be nice to think that throw it in the barrel and everything comes out fine. But what you find is some barrels take many, many years to be ready and others are okay to drink in fairly short order. So and you've got, you know, it's a very critical process. So, you know, we all, we're all part of the team that assesses the, these products, but this core team of distillers are the, the real experts. Now, how did that team come together? Was that something Pindaren set out to build and say, we want an all-woman team? Or, or, or was that another kind of happy accident and a bit of luck? Well, we started, actually. The first distiller we had, our apprentice distiller to Dr. Swan, was a lady who came through a job creation scheme in the UK. And, and she had, was a chem. We, we look for a chemistry background. Wherever these people come in, they tend to have a chemistry background. And uh, Gillian, uh, Gillian Howell, as she was in those days, uh, was the first female distiller with Pendarin, but she just happened to be the, the one that was, was chosen. And she then left us after um, six or seven years and went to Glenmorangie, where she's still in the team there. And then we had to replace her. So we, we advertised that we certainly didn't set out to have all ladies. It just happened that they were the best candidates for the job. We recruited two, Laura and Eister, together, and then Bethan came along a couple of years later. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really down to getting people with the best noses for the job. And, um, you know, we, we, that's what we did. I mean, actually, you know, when we went to recruit the third one, I kind of I had in my mind, well, we probably need to have a guy in the team now. But it just didn't work out that way. And when you've got candidates in front of you, you've got to choose the best one. Well, you know, my wife and I, we both love whiskey. We both love wine. And I'll tell you, between me and my wife, my wife's nose is 10 times better than mine any day of the week. And uh, yeah, right, they, they, they say that. They say that, um, that, that ladies tend to have the better noses. Um, and I think the, 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 the figures I've heard are that one in, one in five people have the ability to really do this job. Hmm. Uh, if you can find those people, but you've still got to then take them on and, and, and obviously educate them through it. So... Not everybody can do it. Right. So, so here you are, right? You, you, right. Once again, 20 years, that's relatively new in, in the distillery world, right? And, and you're a young brand. You're trying to establish credibility in the, the world market. How do you do that, right? How do you go from an upstart brand in Wales to, to really, you know, building that credibility and yeah. telling the story? How does that happen? The first thing that, that, you know, we looked at when we launched the brand was you don't have a lot of stock. I mean, in the early days of any distillery, any mature product, you, ha- you know, have to understand that it takes a while to build stock in the warehouse and it takes a while to build age on that stock. So your ambitions have to be tailored to what's good and what you can sell. And, and the agreement I have with the board of directors, which I've had for, for all the time that I've been with the business, is nothing goes out unless it's good, unless it's, it's got to be approved, it's got to be right. You can't mess around with it. So... You have to look at that as the, as the starting point. And then it's really about getting out there and talking and tasting and really meeting people and look them in the eye and say, I want you to taste this because we genuinely believe in this product. It is fantastic. And they'll say, yeah, but it's not from Scotland. It's not a bourbon. I mean, why would I want to do this? And well, just try it. I mean, we just want a moment of your time and, and have a chat. And uh, so we spent a lot of time on the road talking, tasting and, and meeting people and telling them the story about the unique still and telling them the story about the Madeira finish and, you know, how we taste everything individually and we, the care we take at every step of the process. Uh, and that takes time, especially when you're a small independent business and you don't have big marketing budgets, you know. 
What role have the different competitions and shows played in kind of building the brand and, and building your credibility? We, we do, these days, we do a huge circuit of shows across the world, well, we would before the, the pandemic. And so we would we were with a big calendar and it was great. But back in those days, we started off by doing shows in Europe, in London, in Paris, just doing some of the sort of um, Whiskey Live shows. In the UK, we have a series of shows called the Whiskey Lounge, which are really nice because they're in all the UK cities, in Manchester, in Birmingham, in uh, Newcastle, place to Bristol, place like that. And that gets you in, you know, the half-day shows, they're, they're, they're not too long. You can get around a lot of places and you can get to taste with quite a lot of people. Then when we came to the States, we started doing things like the Whiskey Fest shows and getting out. And, and, and then you meet a lot of people in a very short space of time. And people, you know, people would come, people who are seasoned Scotch whiskey drinkers would come to us, taste our whiskey and, and wow, I wasn't expecting that. What's that? And they couldn't quite figure out what it was uh, because it, it wasn't a heavy scotch it wasn't an oily spirit it, it, there was a little bit of hmm, well i like that's a, that's attractive but i don't quite know what it is so there'll be a fair bit of education going on then about uh, you know where this all came from and so and what has been the response when you're at these shows have you been winning any awards yeah i mean the, well the response from the consumers has been brilliant and it's been over quite a wide uh, range of ages you know we, we you get the traditional malt whiskey drinkers who our experience coming to us and saying, well, that's, that's different. And I like to have a selection of malts and I, I could put this one into my collection quite comfortably. We get a younger drinker coming to the, who are not necessarily that experienced with, uh, with spirits and a lot of ladies as well. And not just because we've got the female team, but, but we get a lot of, a lot of ladies coming in saying, I've been at the show all day. I could drink this. This is really, this is something I find very accessible. So that's been good. And then in terms of awards um yeah i mean i think things like the international wine and spirit competition in london very good uh, place to showcase your spirits we've done pretty well with those guys over the years and more recently now with places like san francisco with the spirits business magazine with uh, world whiskey awards i think most of our expressions of pandaren have won two or three golds now and you know that all helps i mean you know it helps the consumer to see that uh, that people value what you've got yeah, well, and I'm guessing it helps with that credibility piece too. Well, it was, a, I mean, credibility was a huge issue for us. And so it does. I mean, the other thing that's helped us greatly with credibility are the whiskey critics. You know, people look, ask us about, our, you know, what sort of reception did we get when we started in the industry? I can tell you the people from Scotland have been fantastic with us, very warm and welcoming. And the whiskey critics, wherever they're from, have always been pretty open-minded and people like Jim Murray, the whiskey Bible writer, has been terrific. And, you know, he's not a guy who will, will say he likes a whiskey if he doesn't. He can be pretty brutal if he doesn't like something. But he's been excellent and, and, and you know, very critical about our whiskies and writing in a lot of depth and detail. So the combination of the awards and the critical acclaim and the being out there and talking and tasting and getting people to write about you, that, that's all helped to, to, you know, put some focus on what we're doing. So, you know, I know so often in my career, right, as entrepreneurs, as business owners, right, we're always out there building and growing and, and right, we, we have that journey that we're on and sometimes we feel stuck, but, but there's other moments where something happens, you're like, I made it, I, I'm, I'm at a place where I know this is going to work. And so what have been some of those moments for you, some of the kind of those hilltop experiences, maybe it was a press piece or, you know, an event you were at or, or a comment. And you finally said, okay, this is going to work. We've got something. Well, I think one of the first experiences I had was at a whiskey show in London. 
And it was with a guy who was very senior in the Scotch whiskey industry, somebody who knew his stuff. And I was stood on the stand with Dr. Swan and this guy came along and uh, Dr. Swan sort of nudged me and said, oh, this guy, is, let's get this guy, get taste it, see what he says. And uh, would you like to try Pandera? And he said, yeah, okay, I'll give it a try. So tell me about it. So he's got a glass and we're talking and tasting. And can I have some water, please, to put in my whiskey? And uh, Dr. Swan said to him, no, hold on a second. I'd like you to taste it neat. I don't want you to put any water in it. Just drink it neat and then you can add some water later. Okay, I'll, I'll do that. So we're talking and tasting and talking. And then a couple of minutes later, he looks down and his glass is empty. And he said, oh, there's nothing to add water to. It's all gone. Wow, that was lovely. That was really nice. And I thought, well, if this guy can, can get lost and just sip and talk and with our whiskey, I think we, we could be onto something here. You know, this guy knows his stuff. So that was quite a nice um, uplifting experience, a small experience, but it, it meant a lot at the time because it was fairly early days for us. Uh, yeah. We've only been, the brand had been on the market probably less than two years. So something like that was good. I mean, in a bigger way, you know, we've attracted, because we're the only whiskey in Wales, we attract a fair bit of attention for that uniqueness. And I always say to people, I don't want you to buy it because it's from Wales. I want you to buy it because it's world-class single malt. That's the, you know, we're very proud. We're very proud that it's from Wales, but that's not the key thing. You've got to buy it because it's, it's world-class malt. And a, a couple of years ago, we were invited to number 10 Downing Street with the, one of the British prime ministers at the time, David Cameron. We'd like you to taste whiskey in number 10 Downing Street and we're celebrating St. David's Day. Would you mind coming along? And of course, you can't turn an invitation like that down. So we did that and, we, and then we were invited to it. There was a NATO summit going on with all the world leaders. Will you come and do the, just, you know, can you taste the whiskey there? And would you mind doing some gifts for all the world leaders, for Barack Obama, for Angela Merkel, for um, you know, all those guys? So that was kind of interesting. And now I'm on my third British Prime Minister, where we've, we've been t- talking and tasting in Downing Street. And it just gives the brand a great profile. And in fact, um, although we tasted with Boris Johnson recently, just before the pandemic, the, the real big fan was uh, Prime Minister May, Theresa May, who has said many times that uh, Pandaren is her favourite uh, single malt and, and she really enjoys. So that was kind of an interesting conversation to talk, to talk about single malt with someone like that. So, you know, I know it's not about me, it's about the whiskey, but it's, it's really lovely to be asked to, to do those things and to, to get that profile. Yeah, right. It's kind of that validation that you're doing something that's resonating with people, right? Because you want that market feedback to let you know if you're heading in the right direction or not. Absolutely. I mean, all of those sort of things are very valuable. And, uh, you know, if somebody writes about, I mean, you can't, you know, we've got quite a range of whiskeys now and, and everybody's not going to like everything. And, and our whiskey might be a little bit light. If you like Isla whiskey, that's your style. Well, we probably don't fit in. But we love to talk to people who are willing to try and be a little bit open-minded about it, and um, and then you're on you know you're on your way. Then you can you can really engage and talk to people and tell the story. And so it's it's always great fun. And uh, and then you end up you know I always say that this is a very wide conversation. And the reason it's a wide conversation is it always ends up being about about Wales, it, about other whiskies in the industry. Uh, you know Wales is the is the undis- undiscovered Celtic country in in the UK. You know you've undoubtedly heard of Scotland and Ireland. Maybe all you've heard about with Wales is the Prince of Wales, you know, which is a, which is a good thing to know about. You know, he's a good guy, um, but but we have a lot of stories and culture to tell, and uh, we always feel we're representing Wales as well as representing Pendarin, and uh, and that's as as a Welshman, that's really an interesting thing for me as well culturally, because I always feel that Wales have always struggled a bit with culture because we're so close to England uh, in terms of our history, 
but we are an individual nation, a very proud nation, you know. And so Pandaren has kind of been able to help tell those Welsh stories. So what does a little bit of that Welsh culture look like? Well, we've got, uh, we've got our own language, which is spoken by about 20% of the population. We have a devolved government now. So although we are part of the UK, we have a regional government, which uh, has a number of devolved powers to do various things, to look after the health of the nation, to look after various parts of the country. We have a lot of very ancient history. We have, we have more castles per square mile than any other country. So the, the level of history in terms of the, you know, the, the heritage, the um, you, you know, various historical things that you can discover in Wales is just phenomenal. We've got some very beautiful coastline. We've got some, we, we're, um, we have uh, Mount Snowdon, which is an, uh, an area of Wales, which is very popular with climbers from all over the world. Yeah, so it's quite a rich um, tapestry of things that we can talk about. But the culture and the heritage, what does that kind of kind of look like? The the traditions that you celebrate, and and how does that differ from some of your neighbours? There's an awful lot of poetry and song in Wales. We have an ancient tradition of meeting to recite poetry and talk. It's in in Welsh. It's it's the it's called the Eisteddfod, where everybody comes and sits together and celebrates and we do this it, it, it's there are various shows that travel around uh, wales and sometimes they're for welsh people and sometimes they're for an international audience and so there's a, a, an awful lot of sort of um, poetry and culture you know writing singing you know we have we have some very famous singers people like sir tom jones and dame shirley bassey from a few years ago and um, a lot more modern you know rock and roll bands as well so so yeah it's it's, it's a quite a diverse culture well, you, you may get a little smile from this one. So I, I like to hang different flags on the front of my house. And I had a Scottish flag for a long time, and it was looking a little tired. And after our tasting and seeing your flag, I'll give you one guess what flag's flying in front of my house right now. That's a guess. You've got, you've got a Welsh dragon. Yeah. I've got a Welsh dragon guarding my house. And my neighbors probably think I'm a little weird, but that's okay. <laughs> Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, right. What, what a rich history in culture. How does that impact what you're doing at Pindaren and at the distillery? Well, again, you know, what we, we like to be as a brand, we want to stay relevant. So, you know, we don't want to tell stories just for the sake of it. So what we tend to do is we look for stories that can mean something outside of Wales. So not something that's just relevant to us as, as a group of people. It's something that will resonate if you, you tell stories outside of us. We have a range of whiskies, which are actually, they're not available in the States at the moment, but some of them will in, in due course, I'm sure. And that range is called Icons of Wales. And it tells stories about people from Wales, about cultural events. And um, what, one good, a very relevant example is a whiskey called Penderin Independence. And it's about the fact that there are more signatures of Welsh origin on the American Declaration of Independence than any other nation. And if we, we did all the work with the Pennsylvania Welsh Society and went through it, and actually, I don't know if you, Tim, if you knew this, but when they were drafting the Declaration, they were either going to draft it in the English language, German, or in Welsh from Wales. So, yeah, we, we could have been sat here talking in Welsh now. You never know. It could have happened. Obviously, they settled on English, so that's the way it was. But but there was but there was a big there was a strong uh, Welsh influence in those early settlers, and we want to tell that story because that's not just about us. That's that's very obviously very relevant to to you right. guys. That's a world story. So so in a sense, yeah. flying a Welsh flag for Independence Day is actually kind of appropriate. <laughs> great idea. I think it's a great idea. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say Hillary Clinton has uh, strong Welsh origins yep. and uh, a lot of uh, connections with Wales. And I know with Swansea University, she's visits uh, now again. So, you know, you find a lot of these people with Welsh origin. And we're a little bit, I think we're a bit different to the Scots or the Irish. We don't tend to really congregate together. We tend to disperse into society and we keep our character, we keep our personality, but we don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know why it is, but we tend to just kind of, you know, be there, but, but, but a little bit lower profile. And, um, you know, you don't see so many Welsh bars as you see Irish bars or Scottish bars maybe, but there, there's always that holding on, that kind of connection, which doesn't ever uh, fade. There's a, there's, a, there's a word in Welsh called hiraith, which means a longing for home. It means a kind of a, almost like a homesickness. And it's a word that we describe that people always have a connection with uh, the land that, that they come from here. So actually, I just you talk about that language piece, and I just had a chance to interview uh, David McNichol, who writes a book called The Language of Whiskey. And it's okay. really a, a look at the at, at truly the language of whiskey and the linguistics that they go into everything. And just, you know, hearing you talk about, you know, kind of the language of whales, I'm just wondering, right, have you brought any of that linguistics in to the, the naming of the, the different bottles and the spirits? Or, or have you thought along those lines in any way? When we first started with Pendarin, all of our bottlings were bilingual. So they were in English and in Welsh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a lot of Welsh language presented on the packs of whiskey. We still do that, but we've toned down the amount of Welsh now because you know, we're selling internationally and, and there's not that many people internationally who speak Welsh. So, but, but I mean, there are certain parts of the world, by the way, where there are big Welsh communities. Uh, one, of the, one of the interesting ones is in South America, in Argentina, in Patagonia. There are people there whose first language is Welsh, is our language. And uh, their second language would be Spanish or English or whatever. But their first language, they were brought up as first language Welsh speakers, which is incredible. So the language su- survives, you know. Um, so we were, we, we, um, I'm smiling because when we first brought our product to the US, and you know you have to go through the approval process for the authorities to, uh, and I had a call from one of your countrymen who was in authority, who said, I, I think you've got a lot of spelling mistakes on your bottle. And I, I, didn't know, I didn't know what he was talking about. I said, how do you mean? He said, well, there's, just, there's all this stuff and it just doesn't mean anything. And it was Welsh. And, uh, and he wouldn't believe me. They had to have it independently translated so that it didn't say anything bad about America or Americans. So we had kind of an interesting experience. But we love, we love that people see the language because it is a living language and it is, we're very proud of it. And, but we don't everything completely bilingual now because it's just not... It's just not enough room on the bottle to do that. But still, you still see part of our imagery for our gold series of whiskies is what we call Ayr Cymru. Ayr Cymru meaning Welsh gold. Welsh gold is very rare and precious. And um, it's not mined in Wales anymore. And of course, when we started with Pendera, we were only making one barrel of whiskey a day. So we were very rare and precious. And now we make a bit more, but it's still, we're still quite small in, the, in whiskey distillery terms. So we use this analogy with Welsh gold. And Welsh gold is worn by the Prince of Wales in his wedding ring. And all of the princes of Wales through the ages wore this jewellery with this Welsh gold, which is kind of a, a slightly, it's, it's a gold with a slight copper in it. So it's got a very unique colour. So yeah, we love telling these, we love telling these stories. Well, right, and Welsh gold on a copper still. So I, I think that works quite well. Yeah. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Right. So, so you certainly have a very, very rich history in what you're doing at the distillery, and and the present is looking pretty bright. T- tell us about the future for Pandaren and what that looks like. Yeah. So as we sit here today, Pandaren is uh, we're producing about four hundred thousand liters of pure alcohol a year, which would equate to you know almost a million bottles a year. We're not selling that much, so we're laying quite a lot of that down into the warehouse of stock. So we're building a bit of stock and we're building a bit of age as we go. We're exporting now to 40 different countries around the world, and that's growing every year. So that's very exciting for us. And the big export markets for us are France, Germany, and the United States. So they, you know, the US is very important to us and, and working with Impex Beverages in the States has been a, a great move for us to, to be able to get, because we're doing all those things that we used to do in, in Europe. Now we're talking and tasting and reaching you know, people through uh, the masterclasses like we did. So uh, that's very exciting. But on top of that, we've got a plan to build two new distilleries, both in Wales, of course, one in the north part of Wales. So Penderyn is in the sort of south, uh, not far from the capital city of Wales, not, not far from Cardiff. But the, the, the first new distillery would be in the north of Wales, north coast, uh, in an old Victorian seaside resort called Llandidno. And it's a beautiful town, uh, gets a lot of visitors, and we'll make a unique type of whiskey there. We're going we're gonna to have a style of have a style of its own, and that's going to open in 2021, uh, hopefully March or April. So not not too far away. We're on with the project now. So it's in an old schoolhouse which is being refurbished, converted, and we're adding a big glassy atrium to it. So it's going to be a combination of a Victorian architecture and a modern glass frontage to it. So that'll be quite good fun. And then after that, a year later in 2022, uh, all being well. We have, um, we have the funding now to, to build a second uh, new site, which would be in Swansea. And that'll, that's actually on the site of an old copper works. And uh, my background and my, some of my colleagues uh, from the steel industry in Wales, it's really interesting for us that we'll be building a new distillery on an old copper works because 150 years ago, half of the world's copper was smelted in Swansea. And uh, this copper works is one of the few sites that remains from that industry. We all used to work, myself, uh, our main shareholder, Nigel Short, from the steel industry. We used to work seven miles down the road from this place in Port Albert Steelworks and, and many, many steelworks around the UK and around Europe. But to pick up on the copper heritage would be fantastic. And, and the other interesting point is we talk about David Faraday. Well, Michael Faraday actually visited this site and studied the smelting of copper. So we've got this wonderful story to tell about Michael Faraday and then his descendant, David Faraday, who designed our still. Uh, so I think it's, we, we're gonna, we'll, be, we'll be celebrating the industrial heritage of, of Wales, which is, which is, you know, I mean, this is one of the sites of the original sites of the Industrial Revolution. So we've got a lot of stories to tell. Right, coming full circle. And what fun stories to tell. Now, actually, if you've got some pictures, I would love to see some pictures of the new oh, distilleries yeah. that you're working on. And okay, uh, yeah. be able to hit share screen. And I know our, our listeners and watchers would love to see those too. And we had a chance to, to view those at our master class and just absolutely stunning buildings. That, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, let, me, let, me, let me just show you the, um, the distillery then. Just bear with me. And I shall share it on the screen. So uh, here we go. So the first picture I've got for you is, this is, this is the actual building in Llandidno that we're going to be converting. And this is the, this is the front part of it. This is, the, the old, is an old Victorian school, an old uh, grammar school. And um, the back end of it was pretty, it looks pretty ugly, actually. There's a big car park, uh, but a number of add-ons to the back of the building, which were sort of built in the 1950s and look, look a little bit, bit unattractive. 
And what we're going to do is we're going to, if you look at the front of the building there, Tim, you can see we'll be putting all of the vessels uh, that we'll be using, including the still in the windows. And we're going to drop the sills on the windows so that you'll be able to look from the outside and get a tantalizing glimpse of the distillery, the working distillery inside. And then we're going to add this uh, glass atrium to the, the other side of the building, which will become the main entrance. And so you'll have this beautiful combination of, uh, it's a, what we call in the UK a grade two listed building. It's, it's listed, you can't, you can't uh, change it too much on the frontage, but on the back side of it, we can, uh, we can make it a little bit more modern. And then, you know, what we like about Pendarin, because we love combining that, that tradition of whiskey making, but with a modern twist, because we are a modern distillery and we've got a, a relatively modern process. So that's, so that's what it's going to look like. And um, we, we get about 40,000 visitors at Pendarin at the moment. We expect to get about 100,000 visitors to this site because it's in a very busy uh, tourist area. And we get a lot of visitors from around the world because of the castles and because of the landscape and a lot of the outdoor things that you can do. And this, of course, will be an indoor visitor attraction that people can enjoy. Now, will you be producing whiskey at these distilleries also and using the same type still, or will you be using different stills? Yeah, so at, at Pendarin at the moment, we've got two of our unique Pendarin stills, and we have one pair of more traditional pot stills. And at the two new sites, we're only going to have one Pendarin still at each of those sites. So we're going to continue with this light, fruity, delicate style, which we love so much. We'll use a bit of pot still spirit every now and again if we want to make something a little bit heavier and a little bit oilier. The, the style of our spirit will remain light, fruity, and delicate. And at the North Wales site in Llandidno, uh, the plan will be to make a slightly uh, smokier whiskey than we do at the moment by using a smoked barley and then distilling that through the process. Because actually our, our smoky whiskies, such as we do them at the moment, are barrel finishes. They are maturations. We get the smokiness out of actually X Isla barrels. So that's an added, that's something that comes in in the barrel process. Whereas what we'll do in, in uh, North Wales is we're going to do it from smoking the barley. Okay. Um, so, so that's going to be something that will be a unique style, you know, for that particular industry. And I think for the Swansea project, then it'll be a bit more of a craft line where we'll be looking at doing a few creative things, maybe a rye whiskey. We'll be able to do a blended malt because we'll be able to mix with uh, from Swansea and from the Pendarin site in the Brecon Beacons. So we've got quite a few things on the agenda that we'd like to, you know, like to create. Wow. Well, well, I don't know about you, but I'm getting thirsty here. <laughs> I am ready to, to go in and, and pour something, maybe a little bit of the, the peated whiskey or, uh, yeah, or it's, it, you really do make some fantastic stuff. And, and just thank you for being an innovator in this industry and coming along and representing what I call some of the best in the whiskey out there, because you really do want to move the industry forward and create and craft something that's unique and tell stories, which is to me, what makes this such a fun, fun beverage. And I think that's why we do call it the water of life is because it brings out life in all of us. And that's what stories do. Oh, you know, it's, it's a terrific business. I've never been involved in a business with so much passion around it. And obviously, the people who drink Pendarin have a passion for it. But there's a lot of people around us who are not whiskey drinkers, but they just love the idea. They love the story. And so you get this it's just surrounded by passion from not just Welsh people, but from just people that you meet. And, uh, and they learn to appreciate the spirit. They, they learn some of them maybe will never want to drink whiskey or some don't drink alcohol, but they still just feel so proud 
about uh, a business that you know does reflect those sort of values. And so, you know, thank you. I'm glad that you you like uh, you've tried some of the whiskies and you like them. And uh, you know, we, we that's all we can ask is the opportunity to get in front of people and have a chat and ask them to taste, and, and we can talk about it. And uh, it's just great, you know. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. So any closing thoughts or anything else I should have asked you about before we uh, kind of wrap up the, the conversation for now? I think one, one of the genuinely, one of the most exciting things for me right now is the progress that we're making in the United States. For a number of years, we struggled to get progress and attention. And so being in a position now where we're working with a team of people at Impex Beverages who can talk and taste in the way that we do just makes all the difference. You know, it, it, it's, it's making our expressions of single malt a lot easier for people to find. It's making it the, the opportunity for me to do these kind of things and to be able to talk to people, oh, hopefully more in person than online, but, but both, you know, at the moment is great. Um, can't wait to travel, be able to travel again. So genuinely, um, the way that the United States is developing for us is one of the most exciting things. And uh, we feel like we've got some real momentum behind that now. So to be able to talk to you about it is, is great. So I, I, I thank you for, uh, for having me on your, on your show. Oh, it's, it's been a pleasure. So, and thank you all for tuning in and listening to yet another fantastic episode with another fantastic guest, Stephen Davies, CEO of, of Pindaren, and just sharing that story of their uniqueness in the world. And, and just like you, I hope you are excited that the next time you see a bottle sitting on the shelf and you, you decide to grab one and take it home and enjoy it. So Stephen, thank you for being a fantastic guest here on the Bakersfield Whiskey Society podcast. It's a pleasure, Tim, and great to see you. You too. You've been listening to the Bakersfield Whiskey Society podcast. We take you behind the tastings and beyond the label into the story of the people, the places, and the process that make whiskey what it is. For more beyond the podcast and to hang with the community, learn, and to hang with friends, attend a live tasting. You'll love it. Visit us at bakersfieldwhiskeysociety.com. We can't wait to have you in the family. So till next time, sit back, pour a good one, enjoy, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. We enjoyed it.